0: Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Andrew. (laughs) Nobody asked me how I was doing. I feel bad about that. I'm doing well. Virtual
1: hugs, virtual, virtual hugs and virtual shoves for you, Andrew. <laughs> That's true.
0: Um, I'm doing pretty well. Thank, thank you for asking. I did. I did. Um, I didn't get the booster shot like Mike Zimmer opened up his press conference by saying today that he got the the Moderna booster shot or something like that. Um, I don't you really
2: need to get that if you're, aren't they saying that if you're younger, you don't need it? I mean, he's 65, so it was taking care of him. And he got a flu shot too.
0: So <laughs> that's true. All the medical histories, he's, he's uh, quick to put that out there in the times of COVID and trying to get his players vaccinated. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about that. We are going to talk about the Vikings going to Carolina at two and three, the tenuous line that they're walking between their wins and their losses. Uh, how good is this team? How close are they to being the leadership that is on the hot seat? And what can Sunday do? We want to talk about the other shot Zimmer said he was going to take. What was that? I, you lost me.
2: He said uh, somebody asked him, "Are you gonna follow it up with a shot at Jaeger?" And he said, "No, that'll be later."
0: <laughs> That's right. Nice.
2: So, They've had jokes this morning.
0: That'll be depending on yeah the outcome of Sunday's game in Carolina. Maybe maybe it's celebratory. Maybe it's a sad, depressing shot. Um, but yeah, there's gonna be a lot to discuss. 2017 running back draft class pr- uh, probably featured prominently in this game if Christian McCaffrey comes back and plays. Obviously, Dalvin Cook looking like he might be on track. He was practicing today on Wednesday of this week, which is a good sign for his availability. Um, But there's a lot to talk about with this Vikings offense going through some changes, both micro and macro. Clint Kubiak, 34-year-old coordinator, seemingly going through the growing pains that come with that job because this offense can't do much of anything after he's done scripting the first 15 or so plays. Um, They have scored on four straight opening drives in these games. Uh, But like, like in that uh, Cleveland game, for instance, they didn't score after that at all. And then uh, last week against the lions, they struggled mightily after that opening drive. And really in the second half, like they have been all year. Um, Ben, what did you make when we're listening to Mike Zimmer say, you know, we only get 12 minutes at halftime, but we might start having, we, we might start having to have more concrete plans on offense coming out of halftime in terms of actually maybe scripting some of those plays. That's a step that I don't think you've seen many offenses take, certainly in Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously teams script the first 15 plays of the game. That's been standard issue for decades. But that was an interesting idea in the sense, well, on two levels. One, I think it would suggest that maybe the first-year coordinator is uh, not on as – highly advanced or trajectory as we were all probably talking about a couple of weeks ago when it looked like he was putting some, some fairly good ideas together. It also, I think speaks to a long running history of offensive coordinators around here, feeling somewhat limited by the powers that be in terms of what they will let them do. So this one has kind of always felt like there's probably some of that going on and we've we've heard it from from or about not we haven't talked to every one of them but we've heard all and have talked to some of them but the number of coordinators who have felt constrained around here is not a small number so this could be playing into that a little bit as well and we'll have to see how it plays out obviously but and maybe it's just an idea maybe it's Zimmer kind of just whistling past the the graveyard, so to speak, but, um, given the history of how they've handled those coordinators, it's certainly worth keeping an eye on
0: better. you just talking about the micromanaging in general, or what do you mean in terms of the, yeah, yeah,
2: you- I'm talking about the micromanaging with, well, micromanaging and the specifically the,
1: um, creative insist- differences, but
2: uh, yeah, insistence on running the ball. I think it's kind of what I'm getting at. And, and the, the, the level to which that's been almost mandated to a lot of coordinators around here. And I, I've, I've heard it. And I obviously John D. is the most obvious one that ended in a firing, but that's a common theme among coordinators who have worked here that that's been a, a source of tension and just how much freedom do you really have in your play calling has been an issue. So, uh you know, it's and it's a known issue, as they say, in the tech world. And it'll be interesting to see how this group of coaches
0: handled them. Yeah, Mike, we, we went from that Seattle game where the defensive backs in Seattle were saying afterward, we got schemed up. Basically, we got out coached in that game. Ben referenced that and just kind of how good some of Kubiak's stuff looked against that defense. But now two weeks later, it's the exact opposite. It's two second halves where they've been almost shut out. Even in that Seattle game, they could only kick field goals in the second half. They couldn't uh, score a touchdown. Um, and now we have Mike not Zimmer. Have an
2: offensive touchdown since week one in the second half.
0: Woof. Yeah. Now, and now you've got Mike Zimmer saying that we basically went ahead and did our own self-scouting of our own offense a week earlier than we would have. Cause typically you wait till the bye week when you have extra time to do that kind of stuff, just to figure out on our own offense, what are our tendencies? What are we doing wrong? All these questions that they wanted answered. Cause I think Zimmer said we needed to figure this stuff out quickly and they couldn't afford to wait one more week and have one more slow offensive performance in the second half that could lead to a potential loss in Carolina. So with all that said, Mike, how does it make you feel when you see that offense? And what have you thought when you've seen that offense go from the way they were looking in that Seattle game to these past two weeks to what we're hearing now?
1: I think it's, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's got some layers to it. I think Ben was on the right track. I mean, we can't, Forget that this is the sixth different <laughs> offensive coordinator in the last six years. I don't care how much continuity there potentially was from Stefanski to Gary Kubiak and now Clint Kubiak. You know, there's there's going to be differences in, in all those guys, especially with a, a first year play caller like this. So I'm, I'm sure there's some, you know, kind of Zimmer adjusting to Clint Kubiak and Clint Kubiak adjusting to what Mike Zimmer wants. I think there's also this notion that i think some of the the failure rate you're seeing from the vikings is because of penalties they get any it feels like any drive where they get any kind of setback puts them into this mode where they're just trying to survive the survive the next three downs and and punt it away with better field position now maybe it's not every drive but it does feel like if they get behind the sticks they're just they're just in this mode where oh, well, this drive, this drive can't possibly succeed, and you know that, that, that's, that's problematic. And I think that shows up in an interesting stat I saw um, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders tweet out today, which was failed completions. I had never seen this stat before, but there's this idea of failed completions, which are receptions that stop short of a successful play. And the quarterback leaders, which is not a leaderboard you want to be at t- the top of in this league, uh, Mac Jones is number one, Matt Ryan is number two, and Kirk Cousins is number three with 40 failed completions. And I asked Aaron, you know, what is a failed completion? He says, um, a successful completion is one that gets at least 45% of the needed yards on first down, 60% on second down, or 100% on third or fourth down. So I think what you're seeing is an offense that gets into this kind of conservative mode and I think you know Clint Kubiak's kind of playing in this you know running plays that maybe are are succeeding in a certain way but they're not obtaining the objective of keeping drives going and I think you're seeing a lot of that play out on the field especially in the last few weeks.
0: Well, that to me sounds, Mike and, and Ben, that, that sounds to me like a quarterback throwing short of the sticks, right? That sounds to me like a lot of what we've seen with Kirk. And Ben, how much does that just sound like a Kirk Cousins offense? Because we have seen that at points where he will take that yeah. underneath option quite a bit. Yeah,
2: I mean, he talks a lot about, I go where where my reads take me. And when teams are focused on taking away Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, your reads are probably not going to take you in that direction an awful lot, which we can have a conversation about should you say I'm going to give my guy a chance, even if he's in tight coverage. I mean, I'm assuming if it's a single, if they're single up, which we may see some of on Sunday, given how much single high stuff and, and how much man coverage the Panthers play. But if they're singled up, do I give my guy a chance or do I still go somewhere else? I, I mean, some of it I think is bracketed stuff. That's what we saw certainly some last week with Justin Jefferson against the Lions. But when you have those two receivers, I think one way or the other, whether it's Cousins trusting them or scheming away for them to get open, you have to get the ball in their hands more than they have been able to do in the last couple of weeks in the second half. I mean, Adam Thielen didn't have a catch in that game until the last drive. He had a drop and he had one called back by a penalty, but did not get on the score sheet. As far as having a catch until the, the two minute drill. And Justin Jefferson only had two in the second half after going over 100 yards in the first half. So uh, the, the Lions does some things to take him away. And Thielen, I think, was kind of in the same boat there. But I think they have to figure out something between the play calling and between Cousins trusting them maybe a little bit more to, to make some things happen. And we have heard Cousins talk about, you know, on a couple of these interceptions, you're deep as he's thrown. He said, I knew we needed to make a play. So I figured it was a good time to take a chance. So that, that is factoring into his thought process at some point. It's just a question of should it be factoring in earlier or more often?
0: I do wonder too, when, when you're talking about getting the ball to your best players, all that kind of stuff and, and the, the coordinators in Minnesota being a little bit hamstrung sometimes by what the head coach wants to do. Um, it made me think of Clint Kubiak getting asked, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Why do you run so much on second and long? Like the Vikings, they have one of the most balanced offenses when you look at it on second and long. I think it's right up there with some similar-minded head coaches and coordinators in terms of throwing and running balance when you're facing that second and long. And Clint Kubiak said, it's just trying to get the ball to our best player. Dalvin's one of our best players. Just trying to find plays you think are going to work. Anything to Dalvin. Dalvin left, Dalvin right. Hand it off, throw it to him. We're just trying to get the ball to our guy that can make plays. So there's clearly that emphasis coming from top down. They know they want to run the ball and do those kinds of things in those situations, but it speaks to their lack of creativity that you can't do that with Jefferson or Thielen. I'm not saying this needs to be the John Day Filippo offense, Ben, that we've talked about so much where it was a 2018 where Stefan Diggs was catching 13 passes for 65 yards. That your running game doesn't need to be farmed out to the passing game quite to that extent, but how much of this is the play calling and how much of this is the quarterback, I think is a fair question when it comes to just not trusting those windows, not forcing the ball. Ben, there was that play against the, um, against the lions early on Jefferson caught the 37 yarder. I don't even think he was really open. Kirk just put it up there and Justin made it happen. I mean, those are the kind of things you're talking about, right? Where you just got to trust him and just put it up there.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it, that was one of those where it was single coverage and, he saw, I mean, it's the old, if he's even, he's leaving thing. I mean, you figure if he's even with the defensive back, especially given his height and his ability to get up and make contested catches, you say, I'm going to give my guy a chance. And it's along the sideline too. So it's a tough play for the defensive back. At worst, it's an incompletion and you go on. But I think those types of things are probably where you need to give your guys a chance a little bit more. And the thing about what you said about Kubiak, as far as getting the ball to Dalvin and finding ways to, to get on the ball, when he's not on the field, shouldn't that change a little bit? I mean, Alexander Madison is a, a reasonable facsimile. I think it's how I refer to him in my blog uh, the day after the game. But he's not Dalvin Cook. I mean, we, we've seen that. We know that. He, he certainly is a, a good alternative when you don't have Dalvin Cook. But he's not as dynamic as Dalvin Cook is. And I think we've, we've been through this enough times now when Dalvin Cook hasn't been on the field. To know that, so you sort of wonder: Well, how much does this philosophy that you that you like that you base on Dalvin Cook need to change when it's not Dalvin Cook out there?
0: And Ben, you had mentioned too in that post that Alexander Madison is the only other player next to Derrick Henry. Is that right? Yeah, to have multiple games of thirty plus touches. Yep.
2: Yeah, he is this season. He is, and that's obviously with Dalvin Cook not being healthy. I think like Dalvin had four of those last year that was either first or second in the league. I think at one point he was first, and then Henry probably passed him up late in the season. And obviously you're going to get more of those as a running back when you're winning games and you're being asked to kind of be the closer. But right now, yeah, it's Henry and Alexander Madison, which tells you that they are using – well, as the headline that we put on the post is they're using Alexander Madison like Dalvin Cook with Dalvin Cook out. So it's – I mean, to some degree you can, because I, I do think he's a he's a good running back. I think he's been certainly serviceable and you can you can turn to him when you need him to do that. But should it be that much plug and play on offense when Dalvin's out? I, I That's the question I have. How much do you need to sort of have a little more nuance in your philosophy based on the personnel that you have or you don't have?
1: I don't know if RB wins or a stat, Ben, but uh, 2-0 and when Madison starts, 0-3 when uh, when Cook's the guy this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we're going to do offensive line wins, I, then I, I guess we can probably hear an argument for running back wins.
0: Mike, are you as frustrated as uh, Twitter.com seems to be about not stepping on the gas on offense the way that they really didn't against the Lions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was and I I was and I wasn't. I think I – think Against Cleveland, it was a function of Cleveland just play better than them and and just kind of shut them down, although that became a little bit more confounding when the Chargers scored 47 points uh, against Cleveland last week so that uh, that piece of it uh, did, did catch my attention but i I think against the Lions it was you you could have put them away, but I think this I think this became exacerbated when the game got close like if if Greg Joseph goes ahead and makes that field goal, or if they have a better drive after they sack Jared Goff and they end up scoring a touchdown there and the game of the final is 23-6, to six. We're, we're probably not having the conversation to the extent that we are right now. It became exacerbated when a game that was still in control even without needing to really step on the gas offensively became urgent because you had a series of bizarre events that turned it into a one-point deficit with 37 seconds left instead of a comfortable albeit kind of boring victory
0: yeah that didn't need to be as close as it was certainly I just think too there's there's some of the frustration with okay you're 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 leading in that game by I think it was 10 points there at the end and it was a third and long play and even Mike Zimmer had questioned after the game, maybe we should have stepped on the gas a little bit there, where I think it was like a third and long run where you're basically giving up on the series and you're punting it back to them. Those are the kind of moments where even Mike Zimmer afterward thinks, boy, maybe we should have stepped on it a little bit. But those are small situations that they're going to maybe change week to week. But the the core, the foundation of the the, the philosophy of this offense is not going to change as we've seen. And that's where you're always going to be walking this kind of tenuous line. Ben, you talked about it before we hopped on the podcast. If every game is, besides Seattle has been wire to wire, super close, Got kind of to come down to the final end of it. When you're not saying, all right, we can pass against this team, we're going to kill it against this team throwing the ball, which they just don't. They don't seem to, even against Seattle, they didn't seem to totally trust themselves if we're just going to push the ball downfield. Instead, they did screens, they did these little things, dink and dunk, just this quick set up the running backs in the open field. It wasn't this kind of prolific downfield passing game, even with the play action, they haven't got it going. So with all that said, Ben, it doesn't seem like they're going to get into many games where it's not wire to wire super close. It seems like they're always going to play these games just because of the offensive philosophy.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's been the case the last few years. And that's the case around the NFL. I mean, we see more close games than we probably ever have, but they are not set up to go hang 45 points on people very often because they just don't want to go try to do that that much for whatever reason. It's more of this kind of tactical approach on offense rather than we're going to try to just blow you out because the reality is to score that many points, you have to have some drives where you're hitting 50, 60-yard plays, and it's hard to do that when you're running the ball. I mean, you're going to get some of those. You're going to get some with Dalvin Cook certainly, but the home run type drives aren't going to happen on the ground very often, and when you're as committed to running the ball as you are, then you're probably putting a ceiling on how many points you can score given the possession time that you have, and just game flow being what it is, especially if you're having a hard time getting off the field sometimes on third downs, which that's gotten better too, but um, I think – you, you, you put a ceiling on how many points you can score. So you're not going to blow people out, which then means you're going to play these close games, which means you have to figure out how to win them. And again, that's probably true around the NFL to some extent, but so much of it has with the Vikings has been when they make the playoffs, it's the years where they win close games. When they miss the playoffs, it's the years where they don't. And that's kind of, that's been the story so far. I mean, four of the five have been a test on or less and, um, I would expect we'll see
0: a lot more of that going forward. Yeah. I think we have little reason to think that Sunday is not going to be another one of those games where Dalvin cook. And it seems like Christian McCaffrey could both be on the field. Both of those guys are coming off injuries. Um, Ben, just talk a little bit about what you're writing for tomorrow in terms of this 2017 draft class, which you could just go down the list. I mean, you could have taken a running back anywhere in that class. And it seems like you would have been hitting a home run.
2: Yeah, there are, uh, Of the top 15 running backs in the league in terms of average annual salary, uh, I believe seven of them are in that class right now. So you have Christian McCaffrey is number one, uh, Alvin Kamara is number two, Dalvin Cook's number four. Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones, I think, are tied for seventh. And then you have uh, Tariq Cohen, I think, is 14th. I'm missing one. Kareem Hunt, I think, is 12th. I think it's Kareem Hunt's 12th, Tariq Cohen's 14th and um Chris Carson from CL is 16th so of the top yeah 16 I think it is the, the seven of them are in that class and maybe that's just the, the state of it with the running back position right now but there's probably also a lot of those years where you don't have running backs are worth paying and that doesn't even include the top drafted guy in that class which is Leonard Fournette who went fourth overall he's still kicking around down in um uh, in Tampa but uh yeah, all the guys that have gotten paid were drafted after him.
0: I forgot. I forgot that was the four net draft. Um, yeah. And he's down in the island of Misfit Toys over in Tampa Bay, having more success than any of the guys, at least yeah. team-wise, because of the team. Here. Yeah. Um, you'd have to argue, though, I guess uh, the top three, if you had to pick just talent-wise, it's it's probably two the two that are on the field plus Alvin Kamara, right?
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Aaron Jones maybe gets into that conversation a little bit, but I don't think the Packers use him quite to the same level as other teams have used their guys. I mean, that's probably the big difference. It's just usage rate with Camara, McCaffrey and cook has been so much higher than all the other ones. And, and that's probably some of that's philosophy. Some of that's just the talent. I think you, those three guys are, are different than the other ones. And the thing, looking all this up, Alvin Kamara's production, it far outstrips anybody else in that class. It, it's, it's, McCaffrey has been hurt enough that, that that it's limited some of it. Certainly that's been the case with Cook as well. But Cook leads the group in rushing yards. But in terms of yard, total yards from scrimmage, it's Kamara, and it's not close. He's like 6,600 yards. And he's got, I think, um, I think it's more than 1,000 on Cook overall since 2017.
0: And Michael Pierce, the Vikings, 340-pound nose tackle, still was not practicing on Wednesday of this week. So how worried should this run defense be when you got potentially McCaffrey there and then right out of the bye week it's Ezekiel Elliott, Lamar Jackson?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a, certainly should be a concern. I mean, they, even when Michael Pierce has been in there, have not stopped the run to the degree that Carolina has or even the Browns have, um, and some of these teams playing are have been pretty good at stopping the run I, I think the pierce thing i would be surprised if they have him sunday i think maybe after the bye week would be a better chance to get it back but yeah it's uh probably not the i initially they were talking with McCaffrey like it'd be week seven and they would miss the vikings would miss him but now it's looking like they're at least saying so far and we'll see the practice reports but they're at least saying that they're hopeful it'll happen, and if they do, that changes that, that game a lot. They didn't have to face him last year, and that game was still a shootout. So uh if he's on the field, it, it changes everything based on how they use him.
0: Yeah, Mike, we talked about the run defense on daily delivery uh earlier this week, but with McCaffrey coming up, I mean, that's one of the – there's few sure things in football but McCaffrey went healthy getting 30 touches is one of those things what's what's your confidence meter when you're looking at that defense for the vikings going into carolina
1: i mean yeah the, 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 i think the run the run defense struggles this year have probably been maybe the biggest surprise to me of what we've seen at least in terms of what's gone wrong um you know you, you think you look at the signings they made you look at you know Daniel hunter being a pretty good two-way player, not just a pass rusher, but he I feel like he's evolved into a pretty good, you know, as a defensive lineman, can can play the run and run support. I think Everson Griffin maybe has a little feast or famine to him in that regard. But, you know, and they've missed Anthony Barr for a lot of this and he didn't look great when he came back in, in that game against Detroit. But you know, so you're still wondering about the linebackers to a certain degree, but just the the fact that they haven't been able to control the middle to the extent that I think they wanted to, and that they're getting schemed a little bit and still giving up like 4.7, 4.8 yards per carry. Now they got to face, you know, Christian McCaffrey, who, you know, is capable of, you know, getting those six or seven or capable of getting 60. That's, that's going to be problematic, especially if Pierce is out. I think that's, you know, not being able to stop the run against a team that does it really well is something that can really tilt field position can tilt time of possession and really limit what you want to do in the game.
0: Let's go quick, open up the mailbag for some questions here before Ben's got to get going, and then Mike and I'll wrap it up with some more questions, but Ben, I wanted to get to this one quick um, and have get your reaction on it. I got a DM from Jared. He wants to know, hi, Andrew, passing along a question from my friend Justin uh, for the Access Vikings crew. Justin says, my football coach is obsessed with playing it safe, but two times in five games we've lost a fourth-quarter fumble while trying to do the safe thing. How do I convince my coach that in 2021 throwing short, high-percentage passes to a sure-handed receiver – who is always open is actually safer than running into a defense expected the, expecting the run and laser fo- focused on forcing a fumble. Um, I think his friend's Justin Jefferson, but he did sign it. Thanks, Justin J.
2: Yeah, I whoever his friend is, uh, I, I think I would tell his friend Justin that um, you know there's certain certain things that aren't going to change. I, that you just you probably have to decide if you want to deal with it. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of I, I don't know if this guy's friend, Justin, also had a friend named Stefan. Um, I, I think they're they, Justin and Stefan should probably meet. I, they may have some uh, some similar experiences to share about how this goes with with coaches like that. I, you know, I don't know who we're talking about exactly, but I, I, I can just think of a guy I knew named Stefan once that probably had a lot of the same frustrations
0: yeah yeah, I think Stefan did. I think Justin Justin said all the right things and certainly has uh, has a different approach about it than Stefan did, but it's like our um, Dear Abby segment here. We, we did hear we did hear a lot of the same things at one point. Um, I did I did find that one funny though because it's a good point about uh, they fumbled now it was Cook in Cincinnati at the very end and obviously Madison at the very end against Detroit um, fumbling, trying to set up some kind of late game heroics or at least with Detroit setting up running out the clock and that didn't work out so well um mike why don't you pull up a couple of the questions you got here
1: sure Um, i got one from danny on uh on dm saying uh the vikings are number eight in dvoa that's the defensive metric that football outsiders uses are they good like are we um i guess more or less that that's that surprised me because i wouldn't have thought they were that high what do you think
0: Yeah, I do wonder what is all going into that. My guess is they have a lot of weight on how well you do situationally when it comes to third down, red zone, because the Vikings are actually pretty good with that. Um, And if you look at overall points, which is the name of the game, scoring more than your opponent, the Vikings have been pretty good since the first two weeks. Um, They've improved a lot on third downs. They've also improved a lot in the red zone, getting some of these stops. You wouldn't have known it when you saw DeAndre Swift walk into the end zone at the very end of that game. But They have done very well in the red zone. So I'm guessing those are big parts of it. Um, And actually limiting big plays. Ever since they gave up a a few big passes early in the season, they've actually been holding opponents to very few 20-plus yard plays. So I think that's also probably helped that kind of a metric because when you boil it down, there are certain things outside of points that you care about. And situational football, third down, red zone, big plays, those are generally the metrics that um, if you're good at them, over a long period of time, you're generally going to be playing good defense. So I, I think that's probably part of it. And the Vikings too, when you look at it, they're near the top of the NFL in both quarterback pressure rate and sacks. That's always going to be something that pushes the numbers as well.
1: Yeah. Let me, pull, I got a, uh, we got a chicken finger statement in a little bit here, but let's pull up a, uh, pull up a few more questions here. Um, if you've got one, go ahead, but otherwise I'm, I'm,
0: I got one from uh, Skoll or whatever wants to know, what did you notice from the 2021 debuts of Anthony Barr and Christian Darrisaw and what do you expect from them going into Sunday in Carolina? Um, that's a good question because obviously we're going to see Anthony Barr still starting for them, still playing. The big question is, do they finally start Christian Derisaw? Um, I would actually be surprised if we don't see him play more against the Panthers. I don't know if that means he's going to start but I do expect him to play more than the four series that he got um, against the lions. And it does speak to where they think still about these tackles when that, when they needed to win the game against Detroit, when they, when Detroit was coming back and the offense is going back out there, needing to actually push the ball. um, They put Rashad Hill back out there. I do think they believe Rashad Hill is still the best option for them to start and win games. But to me, that clock is ticking and it ticks faster and faster the more you see Rashad get beat for a sack like he did in that game against the lions. And you did not see those kinds of issues with Christian Derrissau when he was in the game, we have not seen Christian get tested a whole lot when he was in there. Those plays were very friendly to him. There were play action bootlegs. There were things that were getting Kirk on the move and away from him. Um, We have seen Rashad put in far less friendly situations. So I do think that plays into it as well, but after Sunday and how those reps broke down, if you're the coaching staff, you've got to be thinking, boy, we, we want to get this kid in there full-time as soon as possible, because I think the upside is so much uh, stronger with him, certainly as a first-round pick, both physically, how talented he is. We heard Andre Patterson, the defensive coordinator, got asked about Derrissaw today, just practicing against him. And he had mentioned just you know strong hands, quick feet for a big man, all the talent that makes you a first-round pick. And the more comfortable you get, the more that talent starts to show up. In practices, the more it'll show up in games. So I could see them getting Darison more involved in this game on Sunday going into the bye week. Um, and I could also see them having a quick leash that if, if he goes out there and struggles, I could see them pulling him quickly and putting Rashad back out there. But we do know bar is going to be out there for sure. And, and I, I think bar Mike, I told it to you on daily delivery, but he was very slow at the end of that game. I think yeah. if you're, if you're the Vikings, you're
1: looking for his conditioning and, and um, him to pick up a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, the Darasa hill thing will be interesting to watch just because there's so many there's so much riding on Darasa being good and being good pretty quick i mean we we've seen enough of Rashad hill to know what his limitations are even if they feel good about some of the things he does like i don't think this this season doesn't go very far if if Derisaw doesn't play 80 to 90% of the snaps pretty soon and done, and, and play them well yeah um, I'll, kind of quick. I'll, I'll go ahead I got a question here from at grumpy Sicilian. Great Twitter handle. I think the name is Pasquale DiFuco. The spirited debate with my Skoll brothers. We have the best case scenario where the Vikings finish nine and eight, but can easily be five and 12 or worse. What do you guys got? Should we cue Jim Mora's playoffs screed, or is there legit hope for this year's team where every week someone else seems to bleep the bed? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, that's, that's a good
1: question because We like
0: to go down the list and do the whole win-loss, win-loss thing with the rest of the schedule, but how you view all these teams changes every week. Uh, How we viewed the Steelers at the start of the season was so different than how you're viewing them right now in that December trip when Pittsburgh comes to U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, With that said, I I think this team is still what I viewed it after the first two weeks, which is they're going to play up to their opponents, and they're going to play down to their opponents. And I think that stems from the coaching staff where when you face a Detroit whom you should be able to throw the ball all over the yard against, and you don't, um, that stems from the coaching staff, lack of trust in the offense, being conservative, all those things. That is going to keep you closer to these inferior opponents in these games. Um, However, it's going to keep you in games. When you play a fast and and young defense like Carolina, who can take the ball away as much as they've taken it away in some of these games, holding opponents to 4.8 yards per play, only Buffalo has a stingier defense. That's going to keep you in those games because you're not taking risks. You're not turning the ball over as much, theoretically. Um, so to me, it, a lot of these are going to be coin flips. A lot of them are just going to be, when, does Greg Joseph hit a big kick at the end? Does Kirk Cousins not turn it over? Does the defense get a big stop? Like We're going to be kind of clutching or you know, sitting on the edge of your seat on all these games because of how they play and also how talented they are. There's a lot of talent on this team, and right now it's, it's somewhat healthy. And if you're the Vikings, knock on wood, I think they can be in most of these games. It's just I haven't seen enough from them when it comes to the fourth quarter, second half to think, yeah, boy, they should win those games because I don't know. I don't think how do you keep up with Dallas? How do you keep up with Baltimore when if Lamar Jackson's throwing for 400 yards or whatever, like he threw the other night? How do you keep up with that? And that's where I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I do think this team looks more like a, a 500 or losing team. What do you think, Mike?
1: I agree and I think you know everything you said is spot on and I think you know even though our views of teams can evolve as the season goes on I think just the, the sheer nature of the schedule that they are going to be up against the rest of the year I mean I saw the Tankathon is a site that puts together strength of schedule like their remaining strength of schedule is the hardest in the league and it's by a large margin like they it's, it's not it's not pretty like now obviously like some of the other teams in their division also are in that boat because a lot of them play the same teams but you know like for them to make up ground and get beyond you know 2 and 3 to even get to the point where they're 9 and 8 they're going to have to beat a lot of good teams and beat a lot of good teams in close games which means beating teams that know how to win in those situations that the Vikings might struggle in from time to time so their margin is thin it would have been 10 times thinner had they not managed to undo everything in the last 37 seconds of that lions game but just the nature of the rest of their schedule makes me think Seven and 10 is far more likely than nine and
0: eight. Kalen wants to know, do you think the offensive play calling gets more aggressive after all the negative criticism this week? If not, does Mike Zimmer make it to the end of the season? Um, I I think the call play calling is going to be whatever Mike Zimmer wants it to be. Just so Clint Kubiak makes it to the end of the season. (laughs) I think Clint Kubiak knows better than to deviate from whatever Mike Zimmer wants, which means I don't see the offensive play calling getting more aggressive. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you see anything different, but I just, I think this, this team has a clear identity. Mike Zimmer has a clear identity on offense, regardless of what their personnel is in the offensive line. They know they want to run the football. They know they want to put it in Dalvin Cook's hands. It's just a matter of how do they get creative in doing that? So I, I really don't think this is going to change much. And they've shown that even when Dalvin Cook's not there, they're going to give Alexander Madison those 30 touches and do the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's there's a lot to a lot to unpack there. I mean, I feel like jobs certainly are at at stake this season. Um, I yeah, I don't know if, if they're necessarily going to get more aggressive, but I think they should. And I think it's you know, it, as with anything, it's a balancing act. And I do think Zimmer maybe subconsciously sometimes wants his defense to to be the the glory side of the ball, and so if it's a, a close game, he's not going to you know try to put it away offensively he's going to play it more conservative and trust that his defense is going to make the play in the end to win the game not the offense is going to make the play to win the game and i think that was probably the source of whatever tension existed in that post-game moment between him and, and kirk cousins if there was tension there at all i think it was if you can read anything into it it was kirk cousins saying you like that and saying let me go win you the game don't just trust me to not lose you the game uh and i just i just won you this game that we almost gave away. So. I would like to see them open it up a little bit. I think there's room for balance because I do think, you know, statistically and, you know, in other metrics, they, they, they are, maybe they have the potential to be an above average offense and an above average defense. So you, you don't go all in on one side of the ball, but being more aggressive is certainly something they're going to have to do. Cause I don't think they can just flat out win games by being conservative. I don't think their defense is quite that good.
0: Yeah, Mike as a good segue to this question you bring up the ending with Mike and Kirk and that you like that Kevin would like to know do you in fact actually like that
1: I I don't know what I like about that it was uh, it was it was strange is this anything anything you saw from that I think maybe it's it's fine there you know maybe it's just two guys who, who've had some tension between them and maybe they just needed to do that maybe that was Maybe I mean I think maybe Mike Zimmer kind of did like that because he likes fire from his players and and whatever. I, I don't know. I, I just I still don't know what to make of that. I still think it speaks more than anything to a strange dynamic between the quarterback and the head coach. And I don't know if it was a healing moment or if it was a moment of further separation. I think maybe the rest of the season will tell us that story. It does go back to
0: something that Mike Zimmer's been telling Kirk for some time. Uh, behind the scenes of playing with more fire, being a leader, rallying the troops, all those tropes that you hear about being a quarterback in the NFL. And I think that's part of it. And when Mike Zimmer was asked about it after the game, he said, he's doing exactly what I wanted him to do. I want him to get fired up as much as Mike, Mike didn't admit, but he's probably caught off guard a little bit. The fact that he got grabbed. Well, that's why he pushed him back.
1: (laughs) He shoved him, like he shoved Kirk Cousins away too. And like, I don't know, it was, it's, it's, uh, We'll we'll see what happens in Carolina. How about that? I do, yeah. I think it's a
0: week-to-week thing. I think it worked out well for them here. That moment's great for them here. And then it'll it'll how it's reflected will only depend on how they play moving forward and how the season ends up going. I um, hope it's the
1: only bit of film they watch in their little joint session on Thursday. I hope they just watch them shoving <laughs> each other for 45 minutes.
0: How can we do that better next time? Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, Chad
0: wants to know how long until the Vikings bench Bashad Breeland For Cameron Dansler. And he also wants to know how do you think Patrick Peterson has played? Um, that's a good question. And it's a side note too. I don't know if everybody caught this, but Bashab Breland telling fans to uh do something with his nether regions on Twitter. That was that was quite something. That was quite something. And Mike Zimmer doing the worst, uh flicking the kitty litter over that crap, trying to figure out how to how to cover it up by saying that he was talking about a media member and not fans, when that's clearly what Bashad Breeland was talking about. If anybody missed it, Bashad Breeland basically told fans and people on Twitter to shut the bleep up and enjoy the win and get his private parts out of your mouth. Anyway, it was very not great. And he deleted it immediately, and Mike Zimmer said, we'll handle it, but then also decided to say it wasn't about the fans. It was about some question that he had gotten three days prior at a press conference which is just not true because Bishop Breland was telling people to enjoy the win that had just happened. So he was clearly talking about the fans. I don't think that matters. I think the Vikings only care how he plays. And right now he played decently against Detroit, but that doesn't say anything because Detroit has a bunch of receivers you've never heard of, and in my opinion, one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So I think it's only a matter of time that when Cameron Dancer, a third round pick from last year, if he starts to show some consistency, if he starts to to show coaches that they can trust him. I do think you will see Cameron start getting into more of a timeshare at that position, or maybe he's even starting games and they're just mixing him in depending on how they play in a given week because Bashad has not been playing that great. Uh, he got trucked at the very end by Deandre Swift and just run over. Missed tackles have been a problem for this defense. So it's not just coverage. Um, I, Mike, I do think it's a matter of time. Um, it's just, it all depends on Dansler. If Dansler doesn't show that consistency, I think they're going to keep putting the veteran out there just because he's their best option.
1: Yeah, and at some point they're probably gonna need both of these guys anyway. You never know what the nature of injuries or everything else. in The NFL, like you, you don't want to, you know, totally commit one way or the other. The other half of that question, I think Patrick Peterson's been pretty good. Um, I think he's. I don't know exactly what the PFF stats say, but I feel like teams aren't throwing at him a ton. He's gotten beat on a couple plays, but everybody gets beat on a couple plays. Like I feel like for the most part. He has taken out that the part of the field that, that he's been that he's been working. I think he had a he might have had a knockdown, a deflection in the Detroit game, if I'm not mistaken. On a, maybe it was a third down play, but I think he's been. I don't even know exactly what was advertised, but I think whatever you thought he was going to be, he's been close to it.
0: I think he has been kind of as advertised, which is a good cover corner. But the criticism coming out of Arizona after his ending there was that, and and you heard. The defensive coordinator over there allude to it this year when he said we have corners now that like to tackle. Um, Patrick Peterson is there are moments where he just doesn't stick his head in there. He looks a little like Cam Newton in the Super Bowl going for the fumble where he's like ah, no, ah I don't think so. He does not he's not reckless with his body and I I do wonder if that's part of why. He's never missed a game to injury, which is phenomenal throughout his career. But at 31 years old, he is not throwing his body around in a reckless manner that is getting them perimeter tackles against the run. Um, he is not playing in a way that Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, for as much as they got maligned in coverage, as much as they got beat in coverage, they were two of the best tackling downhill corners that, in the NFL. And they were a big reason why they were the number one defense in 2017, why they were so stout against the run is because teams could not get the edge on the Vikings, not only because of their, their fabulous defensive end play, but also because those corners were were really good force-contained players. And Patrick Peterson is is not really that guy right now. And I, I do think, and we saw this a little bit with Detroit, a lot of these counters and these runs they were scheming up were going to Peterson's side. They were throwing to Breland's side, but they were running to Peterson's side. And it does speak to the strengths and weaknesses of these corners right now. And 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 this isn't so much a knock on Peterson as a player. It just, I think at this age, he just doesn't seem like that kind of guy who's just going to throw his body around. He's, he's not that kind of reckless player.
1: The stats do suggest that as you were talking, I just wanted to see what are, what are his, you know, just rudimentary, what are his tackle totals this year? He has 10 tackles in five games, six solo four assists. He had 61 tackles last year for Arizona usually is more in the kind of you know, 40 or 50 range. So, you know, maybe it's a function of the plays just aren't coming his way. Or you, maybe you're onto something that he's not, uh, not the most willing and able tackler at this stage of his career.
0: Yeah, there were, there were a lot, don't get me wrong. There's a lot, uh, to those numbers. There's a lot of it that he's just not getting thrown at as much, which is true. But when a play is leaking out his direction or somebody's catching somebody, something underneath and coming up downhill down the sideline toward him, He's usually letting a different teammate make the tackle. He's usually kind of like playing contain and like, I'll get him over here, guys. And then somebody else will swoop in and get him. <laughs> like, it's, it's when you watch it, it's kind of obvious. And I, I do think it's got to be obvious to the coaching staff. But the Vikings will take how great of a cover corner he is because he had a great deflection on third down against Detroit. And he's done that so far in these five games where he'll show you that he'll stick his nose in there and be a forceful cover defender even if he's not a forceful run defender at this point. Let's get to the uh, chicken
1: fingers statement of the week. Was, did he did he send a statement under your question? I didn't see it for sure. Oh no, did did we I, I didn't actually see one. I only know that he, the... he replied on. to something I wrote, so I'm going to I'll use that as the statement of the week. He said okay. Kirk, Kirk Cousins is only responsible for hitting the receivers when and where they are open if a play is called. That's too short. That's not Kirk's fault. If a receiver breaks off his route too early, that's not Kirk's fault parentheses to be read in Jerry Burns. That's not Bob Schnelker's fault voice. <laughs> <laughs> that that oh, isn't, that isn't Kirk's fault.
0: I, that does. That does. I mean, it strikes a note because we've seen it, right? We've seen that Kirk's kind of got this roboticness to him. And that goes back to what we just talked about with Mike Zimmer, wanting to get him to play with more fire, more passion, more energy because he walks into a lot of this stuff is just kind of like football robot. and And we've, we've seen it over and over. Kirk Tron, 3000. We'll see which one shows up on, uh, on Sunday. <laughs> we will, we will. Cause the last, they played the Panthers last year and it didn't go too well. I think it was two fumble returns for a touchdown or something like that. Or I can't remember it, it. It did not go very well. And then they almost lost that game until they didn't, but we will be in Charlotte to break that down for you guys, uh, from bank of America stadium. Please check out the access Vikings podcast and all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.